Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salip Huber. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. All right. Welcome, Jen, to the Midlife Feast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So this episode, I think, is really going to be a treat um, for many people. And and if you're listening to this and you hear us talk about, you know, the, how what we're going to talk about, you think, oh, wait, that doesn't apply to me. Please listen, because I can guarantee that you will know someone at some point in your life who will be going through what Jen has gone through and just expanding our understanding of what menopause is and outside of the scope of age, I think will be helpful. So Jen, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you? So you're in menopause, but we're not in the same kind of menopause. So you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so I have primary ovarian insufficiency, which is essentially early menopause. And I was diagnosed with this uh, about at age 31. So there were definitely signs before that, that I was probably in the perimenopause stage, but I, you know, I was too young and I wasn't thinking about that and I didn't really recognize (laughs) the signs. (laughs) So what were some of the signs and symptoms that you had? Well, for several years before I was diagnosed, I would have a really long time between periods And I actually would go to the doctor like once or twice a year and she would give me progesterone, a 10 day pack, which would trigger a period. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really think much of that for a long time. So for a couple of years, um, I probably just used a progesterone to trigger the period. Um, Some other signs, once it was getting closer to the diagnosis, diagnosis, I um, was having a lot of hot flashes at night. Um, Mm. My hair, it got really thin. I don't know if that's one of the symptoms, but that's something that I dealt with. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So definitely that was the big one in hot flashes. And that's, I mean, fairly typical and not unexpected if you're in your 40s or 50s, but certainly in your late 20s, that would be quite a surprise. So just to kind of orient our listeners, the average age of menopause, so the age at which you stop having periods is 51, 52 in North America, probably around the world, but most of, most of the time we see it references, you know, American averages. And um, if you go into menopause between the age of, of 40 and 45, that's what's considered early. So I'm in that, that bracket. And then anything before 40 is considered premature. And often it comes with a diagnosis of POI or premature ovarian insufficiency, which essentially means that your ovaries stop working long in advance of when we would expect them to. Um, Always unexpected, I would say, Um, always unwelcome, and often comes with more questions than answers. So what What kind of led up to the, oh, wait a minute, this might not quite be just, you know, changes to my period. This might be something more. 
Well, I honestly wasn't very aware. So I hadn't had my period in probably eight months. So I went to the doctor. And once I moved to Colorado, I really ended up with a really great OBGYN. And she was the one who said, hey, wait, let's um, see what's going on here and ordered me some blood tests. And at first, she just thought that I had PCOS. Um, but then the blood test came back and it revealed that I probably had POI. So I had to get more blood tests to uh, see how many like eggs are actually left. And mm-hmm. that's whenever we were able to get the diagnosis for it. I imagine that that was very, that was very difficult, I'm sure. It was really challenging. I And I've always been somebody who wasn't planning on having kids. But like I always say, it's uh, a different story when you're told you can't versus who knows if it happens, it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, a lot of people at 28, 29, 30 don't know for sure if they want kids or not, but they'd still like to know they have the choice. Exactly. Right? That's when that I choice is, is taken away is so hard. Was there any family history or anyone else in your family? Well, I know that my aunt had difficulty conceiving, but she was able to get pregnant. I have a cousin. Um, other than that, I, I'm not really aware of anyone and that's kind of the the question around this diagnosis as well it, with all the questions is we most of the time really don't know what caused it or where it came yeah. from. Yeah. And of course, the big question mark is that, you know, because all of your eggs were formed while your grandmother was pregnant with your mother, right? So, right. you know, this is it. And that's why when we talk about like environmental influences on fertility and reproductive health, it is really hard to pinpoint like one thing one time unless there's like a really major traumatic event like a famine or you know something like that. But yeah, it's um there are definitely more questions and answers when it comes to POI. One of the things that I think and and I certainly want your experience on this as well, but I think one of the the more challenging pieces outside of of course having hot flashes at 30 is that there's probably no one else that you know in your family or friend circle that, you know, like your peer group, as it were, age-related peers who have any idea what you're going through. Yeah, um, they really don't. When I try to explain it, I I still don't think they quite get it. Um, yeah, and that's what's been really hard as well. And it's been hard for me to seek out uh, different groups or sources that have more information on this just because it is so rare. And this is one of the ma- major reasons that I joined the Midlife Feast group, um, just <laughs> to have more information yeah. <laughs> and to have just the support because people, yeah, people my age. Uh, yeah, they don't really understand in my experience. And I'm so glad that you found us. So glad. <laughs> I mean, you know, we have a, a huge range in our membership between, I would probably say you're the youngest, I'll give you that crown to wear. <laughs> but you know, we have people in all stages of, of menopause, as it were, from, you know, perimenopause to postmenopause, but every, every experience is unique. So it doesn't matter how old you are. 
you could meet a hundred other people who have the same diagnosis of POI and everyone's experience is going to be a little different, but just knowing that you're not alone is, I think it doesn't matter what we're talking about, you know, hormonal health or otherwise, but just knowing that you're not alone, it's not something that you have to sort out by yourself, that there are other people who have walked this road who can kind of give you a pat on the back is, is really important. So where are you now? So how long ago was this diagnosis? Oh, that was about five years ago. So where I am now is that I know there's kind of a a big debate in the menopause community about using hormone replacement therapy. And me being so young, having this, uh, my doctors essentially say that I have to. I have to take estrogen. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's going to just protect my bones and everything while I'm young so that um, I can grow older. But <laughs> And they're really – so for people who go into menopause before 40, there is no debate. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I always tell people that there is no debate that you benefit – from you benefit in the short term in terms of managing your symptoms and your quality of life, but you really benefit in the long term by protecting your bones, your heart, and your brain. And, you know, because essentially this wasn't supposed to happen. You know, menopause is natural, but it doesn't naturally happen at 28 or 29. Um, and so when that happens, it means that something went wrong. We can't go back and fix it. What's done is done. And because we have, you know, access to this hormone replacement, we can kind of fill the gaps for you until you get to an age when you would normally have gone through menopause. And, you know, I think that that's a great thing because, you know, we want you to live well into, you know, your second season, um, feeling strong with strong, healthy bones and and a heart and all that kind of stuff. And so that was five years ago. What, what do you wish you had known about menopause? Like, what do you wish you had learned, let's say, like in high school health class? Uh, well, what I think now is that if you practice self-care and you take care of yourself and you exercise, then I, th- I think that menopausal symptoms are not as intense, perhaps, mm-hmm. So I wish that that was kind of more of a focus. You know, I went to college and did the party life and just really <laughs> wasn't, wasn't really uh, mindful of how I was taking care of myself until it was probably too late. And I think that's probably why I had such intense hot flashes and with the hair thinning and all of that. And I feel like if I would have taken better care of myself, then... Well, maybe that still would have happened, but I might have also been able to catch what was happening to me before the doctor did. Mm. It's always so, it's so tempting to look back and think, oh, if only I hadn't, or if I had done this. Um, And when it, especially with, I think, symptoms of menopause and when it happens unexpectedly, I imagine that it's even easier to go back and say like, oh, I wish I had done this or if I would only do that. What we know about the experience of the symptoms, especially around sleep and mood and things like that, is that self-care practices that include movement can certainly help in the moment. Um, There's quite a bit of research with that. 
I don't know that there's research to say that you could prevent it by doing it 10 years earlier. It's never too late to start is probably the kind of the best take home around that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that self-care is one of those aspects that it's a word. It's a word that gets thrown around a lot and, and sometimes more helpfully than others. But I do think that we need to start expanding our view of self-care and thinking about more than just like going to the spa and getting a massage. Can you tell us a bit about your self-care practice? Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, Well, you know, bone health is very important for (laughs) women in general. Uh, So I do a lot of strength training. I go do strength training at the gym about three times a week. Um, I also have a meditation practice. So anything that we can do to just deal with the stress and just being around tech all day and taking time to slow down, that's really important to me. So I like to practice yoga and do meditation as well. Um, aside from that, going on walks outside as much as possible, taking my dogs for a walk. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love I love getting outside. I think I call it my nature fix. You know, anything yes. that gets me like outside and the further away that I can get from technology, the the better I'm able to disengage from it because I absolutely am one of those people that because, you know, I work from home, all of my work is based online. Um, it's so easy to feel like attached, you know, at the hip as it were to this technology. And it's, it's just so easy. It's like, Oh, I have a few minutes. Oh, I'm bored. Oh, I want to do this. But when I get out in nature, I don't want to do that. And that's what I think the gift of that, that time in nature is for sure. Exactly. It's so peaceful. (laughs) So it sounds like your experience was unexpected and obviously unwelcome. And, but once you were able to get a diagnosis and get some treatment and, and thankfully have found us and, you know, now in the more recent years, feeling like you have a bit more support, not just kind of socially, but also medically and that you have a good plan. And that's, that's definitely, definitely bodes well for the future for you. Um, so I want to hear a little bit more about your meditation practice. So <laughs> what kind of meditation, because if I can, if I can spill the beans that you also have a podcast, um, which is called peace, love and meditation. So obviously it's something that you feel very you know passionate about and medit. And so full disclosure, type a, I'm a type a, you know, person with ADHD meditation is high on my list of things I wish I could do well. Um, and have tried so many different ways of incorporating it. And, I have, I, I think I have like a hamster wheel or a thousand of squirrels in my brain because I cannot slow my squirrels <laughs> and I'm always distracted. So tell me a little bit about the meditation. Uh, yeah, well, I came to meditation because of anxiety and I have those hamster wheels going on in my head too. <laughs> um, but Yeah, I found that no matter how much time you can put towards it per day, even if it's just a few minutes is going to be helpful. One thing that you can do is just start to notice how your mind is shooting out all of these thoughts all over the place instead of uh, attaching onto them and going along for the ride, just kind of watching them fly by like, wow, my mind is really fly it today and just kind of getting that awareness going and that can really help to start settling it. 
Um, another simple practice would be just to focus on how the breath feels as it moves in and out of your nose. I have done that one. I've done the alternate nostril breathing because, Mm -hmm. um, that definitely does connect me a little bit more to like what I'm doing. Um, is there a particular type of meditation that you practice? Oh, well, I mostly enjoy the ones that kind of deal with energy movement. So a very grounding meditation would be one where we can focus on our bones and our body, um, mm. just kind of internally mapping out like, where is my spine? Where is my rib cage? And that can be a, a very grounding thing. Um, another type of energy practice. So, so much of our day is spent giving out to others moving forward. So any sort of meditation practice that's going to bring that energy back within us is going to be so nourishing. And one way that I like to do that, which I learned through uh, Ayurveda school, which I took the Shakti school, uh, is to just imagine like there's a waterfall above your head and very slowly, Mm. like perhaps even honey moving slowly down the back of your head, all the way down your back, back to the legs and out your feet into the earth. And that can just be really grounding. Ooh, and I like that. Too. Yeah. that really <laughs> resonates with me. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I know we were talking about like POI, but I, I really like that we kind of <laughs> squeaked in a little bit about meditation because it, you know, in terms of self-care practices, there's so much evidence for meditation. Um, and people who have, you know, an established or, uh, you know, meditation practice really do find that it, um, it's a great tool. So I think that introducing that at any time in any topic is, is always helpful. So thank you for sharing with that. Um, thank you. So what would you say, is there anything else about your experience that you would want others to know about or any kind of takeaway parting words? Well, I would just say to just keep trying to ask questions and find as much information as you can, because the more that we know now is going to help us to put those practices in place to be healthier in the long run. So whether it's asking your doctor a million questions or finding a group uh, that you really resonate with or finding articles and research online, um, that's what I've all of those things are what I've been doing. Um, yeah. And they just help me kind of understand what I'm going through and how the best way for me to move forward is. That's awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) So what would you say is the missing ingredient in midlife? Well, I think the missing ingredient is knowledge because there is so Mm. much misinformation out there and everybody then you have your experience and you're like, well, that's kind of not really what I've been told about this. So I think by sharing experiences and by doing research and just increasing our knowledge and that's the missing link. Yes. And also just sharing stories, which is what you did with yes. us here today. So <laughs> thank you so much. And thanks to everyone for, for tuning in to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Midlife Feast. For more non-diet health, hormone, and general midlife support, click the link in the show notes to learn how you can work and learn from me. 
And if you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, please consider leaving a review or subscribing because it helps other women just like you find us and feel supported in midlife.